This is London Calling. You are listening to Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another global podcast of Thought and Leaders. As you know, we scour this beautiful, amazing, spectacular planet of ours for the most inspiring thought leaders out there. Now, at this time of year, I don't think we could have got a greater thought leader than our guest this week, John Sparks. Hello, John. Hello there. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm John Sparks. I've been Chief Executive of Crisis, the national charity for people facing homelessness in Great Britain since 2014. We work to end homelessness person by person by supporting our members throughout the year to find sustainable routes out of homelessness. And we campaign for the policy changes that will ultimately end homelessness as well. And I've been in the job for for six years prior to that. I was at UNICEF UK. And before that, I was with a a national disability charity called Scope. So your whole life has been involved with the third sector, has it? No, not all of it. I started out with a a commercial career. I I used to be human resources director of a company called the Generics Group, which was uh, an international technology company. Oh, right. Um, But I left that world in the early 2000s and have been involved in or running charities, NGOs since then. So what brought you into the idea of going into the world of charities? Well, both charities and crisis. I mean, I just think there is something um, wrong if we if we allow um, really awful things to happen in our society, which aren't inevitable. Mm. And whether that's discrimination against people who are disabled people, whether that's children not being able to access the rights that they should have, mm. or whether that's people being homeless in the 21st century, these things for me are, I, I find them personally scandalous. Mm. So I have this commitment since I, or since I moved into this sector in the early 2000s of, of just being involved in trying to tackle some of those issues. It's not only you know hugely important, but actually it brings, um, I, I think it's a real privilege to be involved. And uh, once you, you make that move to, to work in these sorts of organizations, you know, then you take on this huge sense of duty to support people and to achieve change. Uh, later on in this episode, the listeners will hear an interview that I did with Laura, one of your members, in terms of how you supported her. Now, 1967, so it started in 1967 because you say that it was noted that there was literally a crisis in terms of homelessness at Christmas. Now, this year, 2000. And 20 is one heck of a year, isn't it, John? To find ourselves, you know, 50 odd years later, still considering that we have a crisis, and actually for every single person who finds themselves without a home, that is really a personal crisis. And I think it's a crisis for the country. But of course, yes, people do think of us at Christmas. And I think people think of, I think people think of other people 
at Christmas. And I think that will be the case this year as as well. And I think most people understand that uh, although um, Christmas might be one of the things that we're most famous for, and it might be one of the times of year when people most think about other people, most people understand that this is a year round thing, that the solutions are year round. If we can do something at this time of year to build on that interest, then of course, we're going to do that both to raise awareness to support people. And really importantly, to raise money, not just for what we do at Christmas, for what but what we do all year round. Because I know that a lot of listeners will think, yeah, but what happens after the two week period? It doesn't stop, does it really, in terms of your support? Winter and, and particularly Christmas can be one of the hardest times of year for people who are experiencing homelessness, not only the, the dangers and worries of being homeless, but the isolation and the fact that many people are enjoying family, friends, comforts and so on, while one in four people who are experiencing homelessness will spend Christmas alone. And that's in a normal year. This year has has really exacerbated that. The very phrase self-isolation, if you're homeless and already isolated, then that's making this year even more difficult. So we're going to do things quite differently this year. Um, So in previous years, big day centres open to support people through the Christmas period. Mm -hmm. This year, we're doing something we, we haven't done before. We're literally booking many, many hotels to provide safe, uh, self-isolated, socially distanced accommodation for people experiencing homelessness right across a two-week period across Christmas. But not just accommodation, but staff and volunteers who will be providing food packages, festive treats, friendship and support through volunteer befrienders. And also our specialist staff will be on hand for every one of those guests. We're working all year round with thousands of people, unfortunately, and we work on a number of things with people which we think help them not just find a bed tonight and not just find a bed at Christmas, but to to move out of homelessness sustainably and and for good. And so we help people with uh, finding the place to live. We help people with the skills, the employability, access to benefits if that if they need it to make sure they can afford that place to live but also with things like their health and well-being or the resilience that comes from having networks of positive relationships so we're working with people you know it's it's day in day out and i have an incredibly skilled team of people um, who are able to support thousands of people throughout the year and you know success for us is when they say goodbye because their their homelessness is ended and they move on with their lives yeah, you mentioned rough sleeping, and particularly in London between July and September, 3,444 people recorded to be rough sleeping, and nearly 2,000 of these, John, were new to the streets. In the year leading up to the pandemic, homelessness was going up in most parts of Britain. Then the pandemic happened, and I have to say governments in England, Scotland and Wales did remarkable things providing accommodation in hotels, in holiday parks, in student accommodation, making sure that they saw homelessness through the lens of public health and saw people experiencing homelessness as being particularly in danger from coronavirus. And of course, having nowhere to self-isolate yeah, or even access to places to wash their hands. So I think governments did really extraordinary things to deal with that, not just in getting people into accommodation, but changing the rules on evictions, changing the rules on housing benefit, changing the rules on who could get access to support. And that helped 
many thousands of people to stay safe during the pandemic. Mm. Sadly, we're now seeing an increase in particularly rough sleeping, but other forms of homelessness around the country. We're frightened that that support isn't going to continue at precisely the time when it's needed. And we need to make sure that people are safe. Homelessness, a lot of people may think this is one of those things that happen to other people, but not to themselves. That's a fallacy, isn't it? I think that's a very important point. I mean, homelessness was increasing anyway. So we, we know that there was likely to be an increase without some further interventions. But of course, thousands, possibly millions of people now are in a situation of insecure income, insecure employment, worry about the future, inability to pay their rent. We are in real danger now of an employment-based recession becoming another homelessness crisis. Of course, yeah. What the pandemic and the impact on employment and insecure employment has done has made people see how many of us are in that fragile situation where if we lose a job and several other difficult things happen at the same time, then without an adequate safety net and without an adi- without adequate numbers of truly affordable places for people to move and go and live, then people become vulnerable to to homelessness. You know, you can you almost sense those those pressures building up in people's lives. And without that safety net, eventually that dam bursts, if you like, and homelessness is the consequence of that. I've born and bred in London. Once I sat down on the pavement with a guy, he was homeless. Each of us was having a hamburger. When you're sitting down on that pavement, people look the other way. What can you as a leader, say to people out there who have this habit of, I don't want to get involved with this stuff? Well, the first thing I would say is that the people we work with often say to me, that moment when someone actually showed a human connection, when that, that moment when someone was actually kind, that moment when someone actually acknowledged my, my presence was a real turning point. Uh, there's a service called Streetlink. There's an app for Streetlink. Put that on your phone and make sure that if you see someone who's rough sleeping and you're worried about them, you report where they are, their location on that Streetlink app. And what that does is connect the workers who come from local authorities and they can connect to those people and provide them with the support they need. If the person is clearly in danger or there's a real emergency concern, then phone the emergency services, just like anybody else, if you saw anybody else in that sort of danger. And then you get to the point of the question of, but should I give them something? I can't tell you whether you should give something to somebody or, or not when I don't know you and I don't know the, the person. I can't, I can't tell you that. But what I can say is if you make the personal choice, start by speaking to that person, start by asking that person what they need. What if they just say money? I mean, maybe people would say to them, but where are you going to use the money? And that's where it starts. Whether it's money or whether it's a warm pair of socks or whether it's a cup of coffee or, or whatever it is, then I think you give yeah. without strings attached and you give as one citizen to another. And of course, that might come with a worry about how it's going to be spent. But to be honest, the person who knows what they need best is the person who is in, in that real position of hardship and and difficulty. So I so I, I you know we don't we don't preach about whether you should or shouldn't do things. Time after time we're told that the, that moment of recognition and human kindness makes a massive difference. In most years the fact sheets that you put out say that you help over 4,500 homeless people. In this year are you expecting that figure to go up? 
We're working with thousands of people now and we'll continue to work with thousands of people over Christmas. We're also booking hotels and we're expecting to provide accommodation in London alone for hundreds of people. Thankfully, there are areas of the country where um, local authorities are funded to provide support as well. We'll be making sure that thousands of people have a better Christmas than they would have done otherwise. And we'll be absolutely making sure that those hundreds of people who get to stay in one of those hotel rooms for two weeks over Christmas, we'll make sure they get meals, we'll make sure they get support, they'll make sure we, they, they get access to medical provision, and we'll make sure they get entertainment and as much fun as possible. It's not just about providing support services, it's about making sure that people have a better Christmas than they would otherwise, and go into the new year stronger and more supported than they were before. One of the practical things that you're going to be having to deal with this year, John, is this social distancing. It's going to be a very different Christmas for us. Normally, Christmas for us is about our amazing army of volunteers being in a number of centres across London and across other cities and providing support to people who come to us. This year, Christmas is going to be much more about our volunteers and our staff going to them in the physical sense, but also online and through mobile phones, yeah. the ability to communicate by phone is one of the basic needs of life, particularly as people have been self-isolating. You know, suddenly the phone has become something really important. So we'll be making sure that people have the, both the equipment and the Wi-Fi and the data packages so they can engage. We'll have volunteer befriending support and by phone. And whereas in normal years, we would have lots of people coming to us for three meals a day through the Christmas period. We'll be taking it to them. You were talking about putting them in, in hotels and places like that, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But you're still going to have to have volunteers at some point physically meeting people, aren't you? Volunteer befrienders may meet them delivering food and so on, all really carefully managed with social distancing and face covering and everything else. You know, the last thing we want to do is put any of our volunteers or indeed any of our guests, in any greater danger than this pandemic is presenting. Mm -hmm. It costs, I understand, just over £28, £28.22, to give someone a crisis Christmas. Yeah, How can people get that needed money to you? The best way to us is the, our website, www.crisis.org.uk forward slash support to donate and offer support. And of course, to also apply to be a volunteer as well. You're still looking for volunteers? We are, yeah. We're recruiting volunteers now. And that's volunteer opportunities in London, but also um, across the country, Birmingham, Coventry, Newcastle, Edinburgh, opportunities there as well. But use that website to get to us. People who volunteer will be guided and supported by either more experienced volunteers or members of staff and we'll make sure that uh, that it's a positive experience for, for everybody, both our guests and our volunteers. Good. Please get hold of Crisis to donate that money. It is for your fellow human being. If you have the time to help Crisis, again, get hold of them through their websites. If you spot someone in the street that you are concerned about, there is that amazing app that John spoke about, which is Street Link. That is fantastic use it and help those people out there so i wish you john a fantastic christmas thank you so much i mean the important thing is that uh, the people we provide support for have a good christmas and a better new year
Fantastic. I want you now, everyone, to listen to Laura, who's a member of Crisis. They helped her out. Until next time, take care of yourself. But let's make this opportunity to take care of those around us who really do need your help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We have with us Laura. You understand homelessness because you have been homeless. I was in quite the depths of alcohol addiction. It escalated for many years. It was a concern when I was living at people's houses or sofa surfing. And then after rehab, I had nowhere to go. I would call homeless with having nowhere to go afterwards. So before you were sofa surfing, were you living with mum or something? She was running a pub. I was living with her in the other room. I was helping her with the pub and she got the skin cancer and passed away. So lovely of the brewery, um, let me stay there afterwards. And they were really accommodating and and really lovely. And then um, I I had to move away from there, lived with friends and family and then moved down to London. Did you feel that you were in the way or something when you were sofa surfing with friends and family? Yeah, you do. And you feel like you're a burden as well. With um, alcohol, you know, you you become in denial and you're not a nice person to live with. It's not fair on the other person that's getting on with their life and everything. And um, you know that you're not a great person to live with. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I get it. How long were you homeless in terms of sofa surfing around various places? about a year after moving out from from the uh, my mum's place and then friends and family were amazing and then a little bit in London but it's so for surfing or staying in a spare room halfway through rehab then you really learn that you can't go back so for surfing again you can't ask people to go and stay in the houses again and literally through rehab I was thinking crikey I've got actually nowhere to go to after I leave this place after rehab I went straight to a female dry house which is a house for ex-addicts which is incredible it's almost the next stage after rehab and I didn't realize this and a lot of people didn't that um, you can go to kind of get your feet back on the ground and live and live like an adult but there is support workers in the same building and there's staff you're in the next step. You're not um, being a burden to anyone by going back to live with friends or family and further your recovery. You're doing it in the next stages. They were the ones that got you to contact Crisis, is that right? Well, Crisis came into one of our groups that we had. Ah. We have a 12-step group and then they came in and told um, the group that were sat there that they've got courses um, in the city centre for any of us that wanted to go and attend and gave a list of what courses they did. And one of them stood out to me, which was podcasting. Being back in a classroom environment was awesome. You know, your brain's been kind of just left not doing much. So the class, you know, everyone was a different character and they were really interesting people. And it was, it was kind of felt like it was right up my street. And in terms of homelessness, 
they sort out everything. So it can be from classes that, you know, restore mental health again to helping out with with documents that might have to go through the council, stuff with universal credit or anything government-wise, and then also bits and bobs like furniture that I may need. And, you know, they also make a good reference as well for maybe a housing company that maybe want you to move into one of their premises. So if you don't feel quite confident on the phone talking to the council, which I'm a sufferer of anxiety, so at that time I was quite nervous and didn't know I wasn't never been in this situation before. So they were great at helping you out in those situations as well. So, how long did it take for you to actually find a place to live? It took me two years to get into a flat. So I was actually in the the dry house for two years. Yeah. To me, it was base camp and they were fantastic. Are you dry now? Yes, I'm two years and 10 months sober. Do you think there's a common route as to why people become homeless? The majority of the ones I've spoken to is, is probably addiction. It's it's not welcomed in, in a home or environment and, and they've had to turn to the streets. What would you like people to think about or do in terms of this time of year and homelessness? Talk about it more. Go and approach someone that's homeless. Go and, go and have a chat because it is that time of year um, that people come together and we can't because of COVID. Bring it up in conversations and especially when people are inside in the warm you know, they're, they're cold and we're inside celebrating Christmas in the warm and there must be something someone can do, you know, donate or just make a conversation. I know a lot of Christmases I've spent, people I've worked with or I've been a waitress so I've had to work that time of year. So I've been in lots of different situations at Christmas, but, I, but at Christmas I personally do think about people that don't have a home to go to or people that are struggling with their mental health or, you know, or broken families. I do think about others. What can people do? Can they contact crisis or what, what, what can they do? Yeah, they can contact crisis. They can donate. And I, I can definitely speak on behalf of them. The people there are incredible. And what they offer is awesome for from courses to help with mental health to pointing in the right direction, sorting them out for the next stages of where they're going to go to. Um, and education as well. I can definitely speak on behalf of a lot of other people in, in the classes that I've been in, they said it's probably one of the best things they've ever done is going to crisis because I've seen people change in weeks, become more confident, become adults again. It's a fantastic place and with people's money that they can donate, they can support crisis and make them carry on and do these great things. Have you seen the old man in the closed-down market? Kicking up the paper with his worn-out shoes In his eyes you see no pride And held loosely at his side Yesterday's paper telling yesterday's news so how Thought and Leaders is a goodbye production. If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email 
reinventatme.com. That's reinventatme.com. Or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com. That's thoughtandleaders.com. Have you seen the old girl who walks the streets of London? Dirt in her hair and her clothes in rags She's no time for talking, she just keeps right on walking Carrying her home into carrier bags So how can you tell me you're lonely And say for you that the sun don't shine Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London Show you something to make you change your mind